Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Undialite. I am your host Alex. As always, I am bringing it again to you today with another installment of the Eschatology series. Now, we are moved past Pauline Eschatology and we are going to uh, have kind of a side rail here on our theme, if you would. We're going to look at uh, Peter and Jude before we get, you know, knee deep into Revelation. Now, Revelation is going to be the end of it. We are concluding that episode and moving on to a new series. Now, we have been, again, plowing through this uh, at a fairly quick rate. There's been a lot going on. And at the same time, I really want to make sure that we do the text justice. And so we have done... Um, extensive looks at a lot of the um, work. We've looked at uh, various uh, books that have been written um, on eschatology, and we have talked through various pieces of scripture, a lot of scripture. And we continue to move forward. And so I've said it numerous times, and I just want to make sure that we are all on the same page. This is not an extensive look into eschatology this is not exhaustive there is so much more that you can dig into there's whole books dedicated um, to one particular view there's whole books dedicated to you know the views of one or two writers in scripture and uh, so don't take this as a um, exhaustive search take this as kind of a you know getting knee deep into the water maybe maybe chest deep because we've done pretty extensive work. You know, we've committed thus far about 26, 27 hours to the show. Um, and if you would think about it, if you were to turn that into an audiobook, 
uh, you're probably well into the seven or eight hundred page audiobook range at about 27 28 hours so you know if we if we do this we could actually have a small series of books on our hands just a side thought but even still, it's not exhaustive, and I don't want to make it feel like this is an exhaustive search because we can ring this thing out every time, you know, we come across it, and we would still never conclude to all the answers. And I've said that numerous times as we we're going through the Olivet Discourse. You know, we can come back to this text in 10 years, and it might be telling us something just a little bit different or just a new approach to something. Um that's just the way scripture works. Like I've read scripture over and over and over again. And I just, I get so caught up on some stuff one year and then I'll come back to it in five years. Some stuff I may not even touch for a while because I'm just not ready or there yet. Interestingly enough, side tangent, something like that really kind of stuck, has stuck out to me lately as I've been in my preaching mode. Uh, I've been doing lit services for my church. And uh, though many of the, you know, internet instagram theologians want to tell you that lint isn't biblical and thou shall not go to lint services <sighs> you people exhaust me anyways so i've been doing lint services for my church and one of the things that uh, we've been talking about is mark chapter four and um, we've been going on the story of the parables and one of the the things that's just been sticking out to me just blindly i mean just blinding me is this um is, is the way Jesus phrases the, his response to the disciples about their questions and the, uh, on the parables. Jesus says, to you the mystery of the kingdom of God has been shown. But to everybody else, I speak in parables. And so like that to me, I've read Mark, I can't tell you how many times. And I come across Mark 4, and I think it's verse 17 and 18, and I come across it and just kind of read through it, and I don't think anything of it. But now I'm reading that verse and it's like this year, that verse is like hitting me in the face. It's like a sledgehammer. And if you look at my face, if you're a Patreon, you get to see the video. You can see the damage it's done to my face. It ain't pretty. Not to say that I was pretty to begin with, but wow. I mean, it's crazy that we get there and we come across these passages and they just jump right out at you every single time with something new. So please... Come back and listen to these episodes in a few years and see what you think. Uh, I'd love it. I'd love to know what your guys' thoughts are a year or two, five down the road. Do more research. And who knows, maybe we'll do another series on eschatology. Not this extensive, because this is taking a lot of time. But we might do it in five, you know, five or six episodes in a couple of years. Who knows? As long as Undying Light's still going, I want to be doing this. I love this podcast, guys. And I know that you guys enjoy it, too. And... Uh, we did a bunch of rearranging last week. I spent a number of hours recategorizing the shows. So way back when, when Paul and I were on the show together, everything was season one and then show number X, Y, Z. And we would have, um, you know, 18, 19, 20, and we just would go down the ringer. And then Somewhere in the 50s, one of us miscalculated a show, and it was episode 52, like, twice in a row, and then it was 53, 54, whatever, and so that threw the numbering off, but I got this grand idea to do seasons, and I didn't plan it out well enough because it should have been season one, and then to season two, and then to season three. What I did was, by sheer brilliance of mine, which is pretty stupid, actually, when I did a bonus episode on a Tuesday, I gave that 
season zero. And then we did Chris and then we did season two as the attributes and season three is eschatology and season four was Christmas. Well, the problem that I was discovering on some feeds is if you weren't subscribed and you would go look for the show, the only thing you would see is Christmas and it would show you is no new episode since then. That was a big problem in my book. So I spent a number of hours recategorizing all the numbers, changing everything to season one and just going out and then just going in numerical order, you know, one through, I think we're on show 139, maybe 140 in that ballpark right now. So I spent a lot of time doing that. And the reason I bring that up is um, I was looking at analytics as I was going along, trying to get some deeper understanding of where maybe uh, this might have caused some listeners to fall off and it does kind of look like it did because it looked like my christmas series had some good uh analytics like some really good numbers behind it in terms of listening but everything after christmas i'm it's like d it's a really deep cut i mean half of the listeners now i don't know if some of y'all just kind of stopped listening to me by now possibly it's a good chance you know and i accept that some of you just get bored with you know things to move on i haven't listened to some podcasts in a long time but i come back to them from time and time again so it's difficult right i get it but i it just seems like all of a sudden half of the number was gone and i think because itunes had had the numbers just wonky so i removed the seasons and just went we're going in numerical order so anywho's the reason I bring that up again is if you get a chance to listen to the latest episodes, go back and make sure you've caught up on the show. Cause there've been a lot of episodes. We haven't missed a beat. Uh, we've been going strong since, um, I think we started solo shooting in May of last year, maybe April. I don't remember. I'm going to go back and look cause I want to make sure that uh, when we get to the one year juncture, we'll do a little celebratory episode. Um, but, uh, yeah. So if you have an opportunity, go back, listen to them. And if you are on a platform that gives you the opportunity to subscribe and leave a review, please do so. It means so much to me because it helps get this show more visibility, helps us move up in the rankings and it, uh, gets us placement to where people will come across our show who haven't listened before. And if you're on social media and you see the advertisement for this show, or you see a post from this page or whatever on Facebook on dying light or Instagram on dying light ministries or uh, reform lifestyle, please share it, comment on it, tag people, promote it if you can. I mean, that's all I'm asking for really is just to tag and share it because I want to get the word out. I put a lot of work into the show and it means a lot to get it out. So anyways, um, last bit of laundry here. Uh, we're going to get into Peter. We're going to look at Peter's overview and we're going to look at Jude. Now I do want to make, make sure I clarify this piece really quick before we get into the nux of it all here. The, the crux, that's the right word. Crux is I didn't go into detail on um, the history of Paul's letters. We did talk a little bit about the church at Thessalonica and the church of Corinth just a little bit briefly, but Paul wrote a lot of letters and we weren't about to do a deep dive into the history to each letter. That wasn't the point of the show. So we're going to talk a little bit about this because Peter has a little bit more, um, if you could narrow focus in his letters, he only wrote, uh, first and second Peter and Jude obviously only wrote Jude. So we're going to look at those just as kind of a high level. So 
Anyways, if you are a Patreon, you get the video copy of this. And hopefully there's no bloopers in this one, but you do get a little bit of a pretext uh, pre-show warm-up, if you would. I kind of make some talking and stuff to them as I get things prepped. And uh, and then if you if I do happen to mess up in the show, they get to hear that mess up. For you, the listener, you don't get it. You get a clean-cut episode. So, anyways, I just something I started doing is recording the show on video and then uploading it to YouTube to a private channel, and then they can come back and watch the show and listen to it if they choose to later. Uh, but that's just a perk I give to the Patreons on top of everything else we do. You know, we're knee-deep in Mark 11 right now in the bi-weekly Bible study and just some other things, uh, show notes if I write them, um, school papers and sermon notes all that sort they get all access to that and then the just you know casual chat rooms and things like that but oh we also do private zoom uh kind of q a's and things like that we're going to do one i think this week i'm going to drop that on them next week because this will drop friday so next week we're going to do a little q a with me i don't know we'll think of something so perks and things like that you can join us for as low as a dollar a month because this show is uh listener supported and you guys who listen are the reason i do the show whether you give or not i still love you and am very blessed to have you along for this ride so let's get in the car and let's drive today ladies and gentlemen peter and jude that's it i, I don't have any like sound effect or anything i'm sorry like deer in the headlights right now like if i had cool sound effects i'd dropped it right there maybe i would do you guys want sound effects in the show like i can do like little like intros and then i get into the crux of the show i can be like those bible dinger guys with all their little soundboard clips and everything but they're like you know three guys over there doing the work of me one guy i'm just throwing it out there to you nick just throwing that out there to you anyways i joke i love those guys go and check out their episodes they are dropping fire they are killing it through uh their uh, series on the whole bible so go check them out anyway so we're gonna look at peter tonight um and we're gonna look at jude so we're gonna i don't know how if it's gonna be evenly split or what jude's only you know it's one chapter handful of verses but we're gonna look at some of that but we're going to look at um peter and we're going to look at three particular passages of peter um the first passage we're going to get at is first peter one and uh that is going to be verses three through nine and then first peter four seven through 18 and then we are going to just quickly walk through second peter chapter two the very famous second peter chapter two uh, and then we're gonna look at jude so first of all context to all of this is first peter what's going on here who is peter well peter was an apostle obviously you should know who peter is by now i hope he's also referred to simon peter um the apostle walked with jesus uh his letter here in um uh, first peter is often dated around uh, AD 67 and so uh, that is kind of the time frame we find ourselves in and we talked a little bit about paul's letters and the dating on that too with uh first thessalonians and second thessalonians um looks like we're in asia for the place um and really, there's not a lot to really pick on here. Uh, purpose is to instruct and encourage the Lord's people as they endure suffering for the sake of righteousness. Oh, shocking. This is a letter written to God's people, the church, believers, the elect. 
Because here's some things people like to pull out proof texting when they look at these verses and then they'll try and justify, you know, whatever argument about God wants all people to be saved. Well, God does, but they're not all going to be saved. And we have to understand that those all people are God's people, the ones he chose. And we see that evident in Matthew 1, 21, when it says it, he will be named Jesus for he will save his people, not the world and every person in it, because that would include people like Hitler and, you know, Stalin. Shall I dare say anybody modern? No, no, not today. I'm not going to get into politics, but you know my position if you know who I am. Anywho's. So, um, let's get into some of the things here that we're going to look at in terms of this letter purpose again uh, to instruct and encourage the people law themes so this is interesting so one of these uh, study bibles i have is very uh, distinct on law and gospel and so i want to i want to want to just say this in, in reference to next time you read first peter take this into mind so law this the purpose is sin and ignorance of foolish people perishable disobeying god's word darkness judgment and fiery trials so that's what the law is going to do to you and here's the gospel themes christ bore our sins in his body he suffered us he ransomed sinners he is imperishable christ's death involved a righteous man dying for unrighteous people the great exchange marvelous light stand firm in god's grace god's word is living and abiding word good news royal priesthood holy nation chosen race so these are those are the primary big gospel themes that we are going to get out of this now there's a whole lot here uh, that i can read in regards to this um, as a pretext but i really wanted to pin that one phrase that this letter is written to god's people and if we don't get that um I have to type now so you'll hear me typing because I mispunched a key on my keyboard. Um, Most of the time people are going to try and pick up certain elements and they're going to try and uh, proof text, proofread scripture. And they're going to say, well, this verse says this. Yeah, but what's the context of that verse? What do the surrounding verses say? What is the section of verses? What is the chapter? Who's What's the, the book it finds itself in? Who's the author? What did the author try to do? What was the purpose of the author? Where was he at? What time frame? What was he doing? All these things matter when we proof text scripture. And that's one thing that has really put on my heart lately when we are doing this eschatology series is that we should be very delicate with how we handle scripture, not necessarily in the premise of just taking one verse and using it because verses do have obvious meanings and we can. And if we see this sort of theme used throughout scripture, then we can go and pull out, well, this theme is found in 52 different verses or whatever it may be, right? Just throwing a number out there. But if we only see one, one or two, or it comes up three or four times throughout the whole Bible, then we really have to be careful with what we're picking up. And so I just kind of, you know, throwing it out there. So I said, uh, we're going to look at first Peter and we're going to start with verse three. We're going to read through verse nine. So here we go. 
Blessed be God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, is tested by fire. May it be may it be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, so that's the context to it, right? So the, or those are the verses to it that we're going to dig into. And so um, fairly easy to pick up on the first couple of verses here, right? Three and four. Um, he's making a simple, simple claim that it says blessed to be uh, blessed to be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very simple. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, right? That's uh, the regeneration that we like to talk about. Um, we're born again. It was the work of the Holy Spirit that does this into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So that's, you know, right here, we're just in basic Christology and uh, Christian theology right here. Just understanding the nature of who Christ is and the purpose of the Holy Spirit and what Christians believe. That's verse three to four here. Peter goes on to an inheritance that is imperishable. Okay, so this is where we start to get into what it means about eternal life this inheritance that's a pretty popular theme too that we um aren't it's not something that we earned it's an inheritance right uh the son doesn't earn the father's inheritance it is given to him so an inheritance it's imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you so this is the uh eternal glory uh eternal life and the new bodily resurrection that we will have um, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be v- revealed in the last time. Verse five is a little interesting there now, isn't it? So let's take a look and see what a couple um, pieces are saying here. So God keeps us in the faith he's created um, that he created and by which we are saved. The knowledge of this faith is necessary for Christians and it brings the most abundant comfort in all of our troubles and shows us Christ's office salvation deliverance from sin and death to live with god forever and this is god's promise salvation uh, will be fully revealed on judgment day so we have salvation but the full picture of it won't be fully revealed to us until salvations uh, of salvation until judgment day so we start to examine this it's easy to just gloss over some of these words but words have meaning and we must understand here that it is by God's power that we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we're being guarded, protected, and we are comforted in this through all the trials and troubles. And this truly shows what Christ is doing for us. And that salvation, interestingly enough, we have salvation, but we don't fully understand really any of it. Right. And we can look at scripture and say, well, we're saved. We have eternal life. Our sins are washed clean. But to experience this on judgment day, this is the kicker. 
Now, let's understand another thing too. Peter here, as he opens his letter, isn't describing the end of times. He isn't describing this moment where the world is going to end. He isn't describing this, you know, ending, you know, um, it's a word I'm really looking for, like destruction and mayhem and chaos. You see that used in the book of Revelation and in the words of Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, when we looked at Paul's letters, we didn't see that either. We didn't see any of the destruction of mayhem and chaos and disorder and all that stuff. We just saw that Paul was actively pursuing and pushing his readers to understand what it meant to wait on the resurrection. And he was comforting those in Thessalonica. Here, Peter is comforting these Christians who he's writing to. And so it's very easy to get into, you know, all of the mix here and get into, you know, we can try, like I said, try to nitpick and and pull apart all of these little details. But at the end of it, we're not seeing this, the catastrophic uh, premise. We're just seeing Peter essentially writing uh, to fellow believers, stating, "Praise be God! This is this is what we as Christians believe." And so, this verse here in verse 5 emphasizes both the priority of divine grace and the importance of human action that results from grace. Faith is a gift from God, but believers are still responsible for exercising that faith or steadfast trust in spiritual battles. I would, I would say more so on steadfast trust than I would faith. And I'm just reading some notes here that um, I've put together. I would not stress the fact that you have the ability to quote unquote exercise your faith because you can't fill up your faith. You can't go to the store, go to the gym, go to the, you know, restaurants or anywhere and get faith. Faith comes by hearing the word preached. And it is so the work of the Holy Spirit to bring you faith. And so I would say, yes, the believers are responsible for exercising their trust in that faith through spiritual battles. And so as we endure things of this world, we will experience God's everlasting grace upon us as we go through these trials and, and difficult times. Verse six, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Pretty straightforward. Uh, we see that God is never tempting anyone to sin. He allows and sends trials when necessary to test our faith. And it's interesting here, right? The true character of gold is seen in a refiner's fire. So faith's true character is revealed when tested. All earthly treasures will eventually be destroyed, but through faith we will live our, with our Savior forever, forever. Here's what Luther says on that. All scripture compares temptation to fire. Thus here, St. Paul also likens the gold that is tested by fire 
to the testing of faith by temptation and suffering. Fire does not impair the quality of the gold, but it purifies it so that all alloy is removed. Thus God is imposed the cross on all Christians to cleanse and to purge them well in order that faith may remain pure, just as the word is, so that one who adheres to the word alone and relies on nothing else. For we really need such a purging and affliction every day because the coarse, uh, because of the coarse old Adam. So what's, what's Luther saying? In a sense, he's trying to add, I would say add, but he's trying to clarify what Peter's saying here. And he's trying to um, liken the Christian walk to this refining of fire. Because that's what he says in verse 7 here. And I kind of jumped ahead as I was reading some notes. Verse 7, so that tested the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, uh, uh, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found as a result in praise and glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So even though that gold is is taken through the fire and his you know, purified and all alloys removed, all that stuff, right? So is the Christian. You will experience trials and tribulations. And oftentimes that is a purifying move that God is doing for you. He's taking you through the ringer. I know it sounds tough, but I mean, it is something to really kind of rejoice in. What what other word can we fit here? rejoice in this movement because God is stripping out your idols. He's stripping out things that consume you, whether it's the TV shows you enjoy, the games you play on your phone or your computer, or your, your, uh, you know, game boy or Nintendo. Ha ha. Just kidding. I know y'all have some Xboxes and PlayStation fives out there, but whatever it is that God is doing to you right now, it's refining you. He's taking you through the fire. And he does so to test your faith. What's more important? Playing the video game? Staying up late and watching TV? Maybe it's that addiction you got to tinker with. Does it beat God? Does it consume your time and influence you more than God's holy word? That's what we're getting at here. So there's really um, not a lot to really pick apart. We're going to carry on here. Eight and nine though you have not seen him you love him though you do not now or though you do not now see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls so i read just a little bit on um here because it just basically clarifies that our faith doesn't come by sight our faith doesn't come by tangibly touching or smelling, but it comes by hearing. Our faith is given by hearing the word. And so we are blessed for those because we have not yet seen. And right here at the end of verse seven, just a little little segment, again, another little piece that kind of can stand out at us, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our faith is tested our genuineness of that faith is tested. We are put through the fire and we are found to be the result of praise and glory and honor. And that's the result. 
again, we're getting to a juncture here where we see that uh, Jesus is not, uh, you know, at this point we are seeing that um, the revelation of Jesus isn't being vividly painted. Peter is just describing that at the end of time, at the final moment, at the last time, as he uses here in verse 5, our salvation will truly be demonstrated. So I don't really see, I'm not really smelling a lot of eschatology in this. You know, again, we get to this juncture where phrasing like the last day, the last time, the revelation of Jesus Christ, these types of words are used frequently. The resurrection of Jesus, that's Paul's big thing, used uh, used a lot. But we're not getting, you know, the clear painted picture. However, we do get that when we read the Olivet Discourse and we see that come up time and time again by when uh, by what Jesus is saying. So now we're going to peruse over to um, Peter chapter four and we're going to start with verse seven and uh, we're going to see here a little bit more on that end of times discussion from Peter. And he begins, we're going to read uh, 7 through 18. Uh, So this is a nice little section here. It goes right almost to the end of the chapter. Uh, Verse 19 is the end of the chapter, but we're not going to get there. Starting verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks, oracles of God, whoever serves as one serves, be uh, by the strength that God supplies in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to bring uh, to him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then Paul or Peter goes on here in verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and the God and of God rests upon you, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, and uh, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and it begins with us. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And it And if the righteous are scarcely saved what will become of the ungodly and of the sinner all right so we get a little bit more there nothing that we nothing new here ladies and gentlemen nothing new we're just getting a little bit clearer picture here uh, around peter's um positioning to to those in uh that were suffering persecution because see as these letters were being written in the you know in the late first and second century um Christians were suffering immensely. They were being hunted and persecuted in droves. And so Peter, again, is doing what Paul did. He's writing to comfort them. And that's what we see in verse 12. 
Um, really about the only thing I'm going to take out of this as in terms of an eschatological perspective here is verse 7, the end of all things is at hand, right? We know that from the time that Christ ascended in Acts to now we are in the end of times. And really, you can almost say since Genesis 3, God has been unpacking his redemptive plan to end all things. And so the end is, of course, at hand. Now, again, these writers were writing with such an intensity that they thought the end was coming really, really close. But we know, obviously, 2,000 years later, we're still here and we're still waiting. Not to say that we wait in vain, not to say that we are fools who wait, but we wait nonetheless. And so we get this, right, to be self-controlled, to be sober-minded. Guess what? That's what we have read thus far. And we've talked about that time and time again. Not to be asleep, not to be a drunkard, not to be doing things that the world enjoys to do, but to be self-controlled, to be sober-minded, and to love one another. See, this is a this is aimed at Christians loving Christians. It does not matter what your denomination is. If you're a Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran, non-denominational, Reformed, Calvinist, whatever it is, Pentecostal or Charismatic, if you believe in the gospel, if you believe in the essentials that Christ took on flesh, Christ lived, died, and resurrected from the grave, and is seated at the right hand of God, we can have a relationship. We may differ on many secondary doctrines, but I would advocate that you should not say that there are more than two sacraments in regards to the Lord's Supper and baptism. And beyond that, we can we can have all sorts of different conversations. We can talk eschatology, and you and I can differ all the way until the end of the days. But Peter is very clear. We are to love one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins show hospitality to one another. And he goes on and goes through some of the gifts here of the spirit. Not much in regards to the end of times, but we know we are in this framework, right? Of the end of times. Peter goes on to say here, talking about trials and tribulations that we will face. And I love how Peter phrases this. I mean, these guys were brilliant people, mostly because the Holy spirit was telling them what to write, but brilliant nonetheless. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, right? We, we caught that back in 1 Peter chapter 1, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings. Brilliant. Rejoice in that. I said that just a little bit ago on the show here. Rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And he goes on to say, for it is a time of judgment. This is verse 17. For it is a time of judgment to begin at the household of God. Whoa. What did we just get here? We got something new. This is exciting. We haven't come across something like this yet. The time of judgment is going to begin at the household of God. And it begins with us. You and me. Does that strike fear in your heart? Oh, God, it better. It truly better. Because, see, if you're out doing things that are ungodly, that should be frightening. If you're out doing things that you think are what a Christian should be doing and it's not, that should strike fear in your heart. If you're out 
doing, you know, and not loving other Christians and being boastful over them, prideful in your knowledge over them, asserting yourself over them, that should be fearful too. What if you're not teaching sound doctrine? What if you're not teaching proper theology? What if you're not teaching Christ at all? The household of God will experience judgment first. That is just frightening, frightening, frightening. And here's a Proverbs quoted here in verse 18. This proverb teaches that believers may suffer the effect of their sins. Unlike unbelievers, they face such suffering in faith, trusting in God's deliverance. That's frightening because... You know, we we get this idea that um, we will never or we shouldn't have to experience suffering, right? That's a big, big thing in the prosperity movement, word of faith movements. But here's Proverbs 11, verse 31. That's quoted here that Peter's echoing. This is what Proverbs 11 says. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? That's what we get. Oh, just think about that. If if the righteous is scarcely saved, scarcely. See, Peter isn't pointing towards just Christians, not to the church, to, to the righteous. Those who think they're righteous, right? We The Pharisees thought they were righteous. Those who do good deeds think they're righteous. And if they're scarcely saved, whew, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Those who could care less about being righteous. That's some tough, that's some tough words to chew on. That really just, man, that really frightens me. And I think it should strike fear into, into, into you, the listener, not to fear monger or anything like that. But I mean, that really should kind of be in a, another one of those verses that wakes you up a little bit. That kind of talked about at the beginning of the show, right? That just kind of, punches you just right in the right in the throat maybe because i certainly want to make sure that in my walk i'm being obedient to christ and that i'm serving christ in my fullest capacity that i'm loving my neighbor in the fullest capacity that i can and i know i'm not perfect at it but i i try but i know that thank god for jesus christ because even in my trying i fail miserably even in my trying, I am miserable at doing this job. And thank God my sins are forgiven because I can do it myself. Anyways, enough, enough of that. Um, never enough of it, but we got to move on for time's sake. So we're going to get to Second Peter, and I'm not going to read all of it, but we have a huge, um, I call it an angry point from, from Peter here. He's uh, goes to target... Um, some some things here. And I'm going to kind of just talk a little bit about it uh, as a precursor. We're not going to get into the all of chapter 2, but it is all aimed at false teachers. And Peter writes, but false teachers also arose among the people just as there were false teachers among you who were secretly bringing in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. That's verse 1. Ooh. Peter does not beat around the bush. No, 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 he does not. God told Moses to distinguish between true and false prophets, as Deuteronomy 18 says. Uh, we also see uh, Jeremiah's contest with uh, Hananiah 
in uh, uh, Jeremiah 28. False teachers, those who take the inspired scriptures and twist and isolate select passages out of context of salvation by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ, purely for their own personal gain and glory. Huh. That's what we should know. Heresies. Uh, false teachers often promote personal rights and immortality that will always destroy faith in Christ alone. False teachers um, pointing back to the master who bought them. False teachers deny the reality of Christ's redemption through faith alone as a means of their salvation. They can call him Lord, Lord, but their lives are a contradiction from his will and his word. And they bring on swift destruction, though not seemingly so. Those who bring in destructive heresies will eventually be destroyed themselves. They might roll into church in their Lambo one week. No, it's not going to happen next week. Luther says on this, just as all prophecy is emulated from the Holy Spirit since the beginning of the world, so this this must be true until the end of the world in order that nothing but God's word may be preached. Yet it will always be happen that there are false teachers alongside true prophets and God's word. And so it remained. Therefore, since you now have God's word, you must expect to have false teachers. They will retain the terms God, Christ, faith, church, baptism, sacrament. Let them remain. Until these terms, however, they will proceed to establish something different. So Peter makes it very clear. Luther clarifies and agrees here that we will have false teachers until the end of days. And Peter goes on here in the entire chapter to really just unload on what will happen to these individuals. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a dark chapter really, but it's one that's much needed. And I mean, verse four, for God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment what oh man if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved noah a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly if by turning the cities of sodom and gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction making them an example of what was going to happen to the ungodly peter does not hold back he's just speaking truth Those ungodly and wicked preachers will face swift and terrible destruction because if God did not save angels that sinned against him, he certainly isn't going to save these people. How? Wow. I'm just, I'm floored. That is, every time I read second Peter two, it gets me every time, every time I just, man, it's such an amazing text. It really is because it shows us that at the end, Christ will be triumphant. Those who serve him will have eternal life and will be full of his, will be full and surrounded by his love and compassion and mercy and everything. And we will not have to deal with sin. That's amazing. But these false teachers are swift to bring destruction upon themselves and those who follow them. Jesus even says back in Matthew 24 that there will be false teachers and false prophets that will arise. 30 some years later, Peter's sitting here telling us the same thing. 
And as we are now 2,000 years after this, we know for a fact, all you have to do is turn on TBN, turn on any Christian radio station, go to a majority of quote-unquote Christian websites, Christian stores, Christian social media accounts. They're all the same thing. They're praising you, and they're not talking about God. Here's the thing. I'm going to rant really quick, and we're going to get to Jude. Now, I'm on social media. You can you can find me, Reformed underscore Lifestyle. That's on Instagram. I do TikTok, but don't tell anybody. I don't really. I just rant there. But here's the thing. I see a lot of videos in the Christian hemisphere around that stuff, and it's all selfism. All they do is promote you. You're not the one to be promoted. Did we not just read to God belongs the glory alone forever and ever? It's his domain, not ours. You didn't do anything to earn this. Get over yourself. For crying out loud, this isn't about you. You're not David. And no, this isn't me channeling Matt Chandler here. But I'm just speaking the truth. You are not any of this. You are just simply a vessel in God's great plan. Whether that vessel is meant for destruction, which I pray not because you're listening to this show. I pray that you were a vessel used to bring his glory about. Anyways, let's get on. But it's everywhere. False teachers are literally everywhere. That's why discernment is crucial. That's why understanding text is crucial. So we can see here, we've looked at three major passages from Peter that he's not really describing the end of times. He's just simply talking about it, pointing people to some of the things that are going to happen, really cultivating the environment, if you would. And that's what we're going to get to in Jude is the environment that we find ourselves in uh, when we get here. And uh, interestingly enough, they both kind of echo the same thing here. So we're going to get to Jude now. So I don't know how much time we're going to spend. We're at 48 minutes. We're going to keep going and see where we end because I got to do this in one episode. And then we're going to get to the book of Revelation. So bear with me. Jude, written uh, written in 68 AD. So right around the same time as 1 Peter. Uh, Author is Jude, obviously. Uh, The purpose here is to warn fellow Christians about the dangers posed by ungodly false teachers. (sighs) Ah. Oh, shocking. All right, here we go. The law, uh, we're going to get to some law themes again. Uh, the ungodly per, uh, pervert God's grace contend for faith. God destroys unbelievers, blaspheming eternal chains, gloomy darkness, stained by the flesh, judgment, eternal fire, and the way of Cain condemned. Well, what gospel themes can we draw out of these handful of verses? God Our uh, gospel themes are called and beloved by God, peace, salvation, mercy of our Lord, present, present you blameless, God, our Savior. All right, guys, Jude is literally 25 verses long. Now, the doxology in Jude here is 24 and 25. Uh, 17 through 23 is a call to persevere. And uh, verses 3 through 16 is the warning, the judgment of false teachers. Now, I was watching something. Uh, I forgot what it was. I think it might have been one of those it was a Bible producer. No, that's not the right word. A Bible production company. I forgot what it was. It wasn't like Crossway or anything, but it was. Uh, but they were talking about 
the order of the New Testament. And they said, you know, the interesting thing about Jude is where it's placed, because we would consider the Bible to be uh, ordered uh, in the way that the Holy Spirit has really informed us to order the Bible. Now, whether you read it chronologically or just read it in order, that's a different conversation. But Jude falls right before the book of Revelation. And interestingly enough, the major theme in Jude is the judgment of false teachers. Now, we're probably going to see a lot of echoing here between Peter's writing and Jude's writing. And I want to um, kind of cultivate here this little some ideas here because Jude's easy to read. It's not real long. You can read in about 10 minutes, maybe less. It's 25 verses. You probably read it in three or four minutes. Anyway, so reading Jude, here's some kind of uh, high cursors. The bull gored the earth with its horns and pawed the dust. The rider's presence infuriated him, but he did not drive the rider away. Through the weary of the chase, the bull continued to snort and bellow, blowing froth from the corners of his mouth. He could not understand what the herdsman was simply there to check on the cattle and to learn how the calves were doing. Jude warns his fellow Christians that false false teachers behave like unreasoning animals. They are instinctively driven to what is wrong and destructive. Jude uses numerous examples from the Old Testament, Jewish literature, and prophecies of the apostles to illustrate his warning. He admonishes his readers to rescue those entrapped by the ungodly. Verses 22 and 23. So that's really it. That's kind of how we read this, is that he read, he uses uh, a lot of description, and he uses various uh, writings from the Old Testament, from Jewish literature, things like that. Uh, we're going to read 3 through 16 for the show, but I, I do want to say this too. When we get to, a, I got a couple series in mind here, um, but this will be one that will come up very quickly in the rotation of this show. We're going to go through the entire Bible verse by verse. And we're going to get to Jude, so we will do a deep dive on each book, and then we'll go verse by verse, or section by section, if you would, through the Bible. All right, verse 3, here we go in Jude. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed while long ago were designated for their condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Sounds very familiar to what Peter was writing, how they deny their master who bought them. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He was kept in eternal change until gloomy darkness, until the judgment of the great day. Again, echoing Peter. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Again, I can't, I can't, I just, I can't spell this out enough for you guys. A lot of similarities here. Yet in the manner of these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael contending with the devil and disputing about the body of Moses, interesting, we're not going to get into this, by the way, this is a completely, these couple verses here, 
take us way down some deep theology when I'm not going to get into it because it is going to, it would, we'll do another episode on it. I promise. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme you all. They do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, uh, by, by all that they like unreasoning animals understand instinctively. Woe to them. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain at Balaam's heir and perished in Karah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherding, feeding, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars, from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds and ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And all the harsh things that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him, they are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful, de- sinful desires that they are loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. And Jude and Peter must be like hanging out at that, you know, in the temple like daily because there's a lot of similarities in the way they wrote their letters. A lot of warnings. Obviously, the crowd and the, the people are a little different. Uh, those who, you know, the, the purpose behind um, the, the letters. So it does definitely uh, have some some interesting um pieces here that do have a lot of commonarity commonality can i not speak tonight they have a lot in common we'll just leave it at that for you so interesting thing here right so jude's kind of a mysterious person um the best clue to identify is the description brother of james the only james known well enough in the early church is referred to in an unqualified way is james the prominent church leader as in acts 12 and acts 15 uh, the author of the epistle that bears his name and the half-brother of Jesus. If this identification of James is correct, the author of the present epistle, Jude, is the half-brother of Jesus, who, among his other brothers, did not believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. It's a little bit of an interesting precursor there on Jude, um, a reflection to who he is and his purpose. Um, but it, it does. It has uh, a lot of information around the the idea of this time of tribulation in which we will be dealing with false teachers just like second peter does and he does echo a lot um of old testament he echoes a lot of you know writings and warnings that uh, peter addresses in his and we just are getting I don't want to say another letter like that, but because the audiences and everything are much different. So there's a ton to really sit in here and kind of pull out. Because while both of these letters are addressed to fellow Christians in danger by ungodly teachers, they have different audiences. They have a different purpose. And so it would only make sense that they echo each other 
because we don't need scripture to sound like it's contradicting itself. We want it. We want a unified theme from beginning to end. And I am perfectly okay with Jude and Peter echoing each other because I think it, it brings forward, you know, a, a solid front in our way to handle and distinguish scripture. And so again, I, I we're not going to get to a juncture here where we see a lot of, you know, the end of times, fire and brimstone type reading. We'll get into that in a couple of weeks, trust me. But what we are getting here is a, a, an environment, an atmosphere. What is it going to look like? What are the end of days going to feel like? And both Peter and Jude warn heavily we are going to experience a lot of false teaching. A lot of people are going to um, be causing rifts causing mayhem in the church and they're going to prosper from it. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm petty or anything, but let me, let me ask you this. If you go to a church and you see a pastor roll up in a Lamborghini and you just get done taking your daughter out of a backseat of a little Ford fiasco, what is your thinking? You work 60 hours a week to put food on your table in your pastor rolls in in a Lambo or a Ferrari or he's got a, his own private jet and you're going to go in and you're going to shell $100 that you worked hard for at his feet because he's screaming on the stage about money 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 look I'm a pastor of a small church my congregation's 100 people and I'm blessed to have a house provided to me by the church and I am blessed to be able to walk to my church. So I don't have to get in my car and drive 10 feet to the church. I just walk over. But I have 50 people on average that come to my services. I don't want to ever showboat to them. Because even if I was making a boatload of money, it would never be my position. And I'm not. But... I, I could say I think it's extremely disrespectful of the position of a pastor. And I think this falls right in here to these warnings that if a pastor is in there showboating his wealth, he is not taking care of his congregation. Now, I know there are wealthy, good sound biblical preachers out there, but they are also authors of 25, 50 plus books. They have podcasts. They have some of them run ministries, uh, universities. They do a lot, a lot, a lot of work, but they don't go and showboat in fancy cars and private jets and giant mansions. They might have a nice car. They might live in a nice house, but they don't live in a $10 million mansion with a private jet. Think about it. And then compare the theologies, the doctrines between the two. I mean, for crying out loud, I think John MacArthur came under fire because he has a nice house. A man literally ran a seminary for a majority of his ministry. He's been preaching for over 50 years. I can't even tell you how many books that man has authored. So you want to compare him to Joel Osteen? Seriously? The guy that literally gets in the pulpit every week and breaks down scripture and gives you a deep historical meaning to scripture every week. And he'll talk to you about the Greek and the Hebrew languages that surround that language, that text. He will describe things, paint you pictures, talk to you about the historical and um, 
in, in the biblical context to what you guys are listening to. Or you can go to Joel Osteen and listen to how you can get the best parking spot at the mall because you have God's favor upon you. Seriously? That's not even comparison. But there's petty people out there. And I would venture to say the people that try to sow division like this are nothing more than false teachers. They're dividers. They don't want unity in the church. They seek to divide those who are sound. And now I know sound Christians would just look and laugh at that stuff and it's petty, but you know, it causes problems. It really does. Anyways, I can rant on this stuff forever. Guys, we're going to conclude this episode and uh, we're going to get prepped for revelation. I had thought about maybe doing a bonus episode in between. Eh, nothing's really tickling my mind. So we're going to hammer through the book of revelation, seven sections, three shows, a section, 21 shows is what I'm pinning for. I'm hoping it'll work. Um, got a couple good books. I'm going to start digging into this weekend. Top of all the schoolwork that I'm doing. <laughs> oh goodness gracious. All right, guys, I'm going to go and, uh, hang out for a little bit and go to bed. So that's it guys. I love you. Thanks for tuning in. I am so blessed to knock this episode out. And uh, if you guys have, uh, like I said, if you guys want to fo uh, follow along in this ministry and get a part of it, hit me up on uh, Instagram. And uh, the links are all in my bio to join Patreon. It's just patreon.com forward slash undying light. You can also get a copy of Logos, which I used for all of my Bibles. I literally have four copies of the ESV Bible up on my screen right now. And then I have some other study guides and stuff like that open. But logos.com forward slash undying light. Get yourself a free copy of Logos. And if you want to buy a copy, use that link and you can get free books and discounts on packages through Undying Light. And as well, you can always get merchandise, shirts, hats, sweatshirts, tank tops, girls, women's, men's, boys, all that gear. Hit me up if you want a quote on the back from a theologian or a particular Bible verse. We'll stamp it on there. We'll throw you an Undying Light logo on the front and ship it right on out to you. So whatever is your cup of tea. We also have coffee mugs, so we've got some of that too. So go check that out. Um, it's Bonfire, and uh, the link is in my bio. I don't know the full address to the website, but check that out. So, guys, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed this massively long series thus far. Next week, it starts Revelation. Dear God. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.